everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. Gab and I are here with someone that we're staying with in our house. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sato from Portland. Sato from Portland is living with us in Van City House, which is a collective of a bunch of women soccer fans who went in on an Airbnb for a month so that we can make Vancouver our home base. And all we've done is watch women's soccer, drink booze, eat food, watch Orange is the New Black, explore the city, explore yeah. Van City, go out to bars. It's been pretty idyllic. It's kind of the only way to experience a World Cup. So on yes. this particular night, Gab, what are you drinking? Um, I made us a round of margaritas. Um, so just used our little homemade bar here. And a shot of tequila, shot triple sack, and some margarita mix. Sato and I are also drinking margaritas that Gab I made. shared with the group. Yes. She made enough for the group. I did. Yes. I, I'm a sharer. Today's big topic is the World Cup. <laughs> she's she's so good at words, guys. Um, I've been out all day. I'm so tired. <laughs> okay. Today's big topic is, I think, big teams not performing that well. Small teams performing above all expectations. Thoughts, Gab? So, I've... I've said it a couple different times because a couple different teams have shown it to me that nobody is really here to like grab the cup. Um, nobody showed up willing to dominate, willing to just take ownership and say, this is mine, come and get it. Everybody's really been scraping to get whatever points they possibly can. And there have been those blowout matches against those lower-ranked teams. Those, you know, we, we grew the entire program this year by, what, eight teams? Mm -hmm. So we went from 16 to 24. So we have eight teams in this cup that have never actually participated at this level. So it's been really shocking to see some of those score lines for those teams. There have been some pretty major upsets, but at the same time, there are those expected results, those 10 nothing blowouts that you have to expect with when a team is showing up at this level for the very first time without their federation really putting in the financial resources that you would expect them to do the next round. Sato, have you felt about seeing not just blowouts, but also seeing smaller teams tie or even upset larger teams? I, I think it's been great. The The smaller teams have definitely come out, and when you see them paired against each other, you realize that they are definitely there, but they don't have the exposure that they need. The, the, you can see the plays come out and develop not as gracefully as teams that are, you know, the bigger teams that practice all the time, but you can see that the development's there, and, and they definitely have more heart than all the teams that we regularly see. Yeah, the heart is, is a really interesting uh, point of conversation because you think about the heart of a team who's done it before. And we talk about, well, it's a slow start. Well, this team has never scored so many goals before the third round or something like that. And in reality, you know, you want every team to have the same heart that Costa Rica played with, that Cameroon played with. You want them all to be at that level where they are seeing this as this huge career-defining moment, whereas other teams are being more tactical, more strategic, and it's it's boring and frustrating. I personally am finding it very interesting and very entertaining to watch the different types of play, the different styles of play coming up against each other, and teams that don't normally play each other do you think, getting those shots. Do you think part of that is 
small teams have no expectations. They have nothing to lose. They have no history. They didn't have people coming into this saying, my top four favorites are this, 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 and this. And they're not in that list. So they can come and do whatever the hell they want. Whereas large teams, the weight of expectation is entirely on them. USA, Germany, France, Japan, those four have been consistently named as the four teams to look out for. And the only one so far that is guaranteed to go through to the next round after two rounds of group play is Japan with six points. The other three have not especially impressed. Japan but, and Brazil, those are, right. those are the two that are guaranteed to go on. But Japan's also underwhelmed. They yeah. won yeah. the first one on a PK, and then the second one, they get two goals, three goals. Two. two they goals. won two to one. On a team that they probably should have blown out. Yeah, I think part of it is that a lot of the larger teams, they're playing cautiously because they're afraid. They've been through... It's like when you don't know how badly something hurts, you can go into it unafraid. But once you've been punched a couple times, you know what the pain feels like. So you're a little more cautious. You're maybe a little gun-shy about getting punched in the face again. Well, I think a lot of that speaks to veterans versus rookies. And veterans uh, are going to come into this a little bit more gun-shy, a little bit more timid. Um, And you look at a lot of the teams that have historically been the Goliaths of women's soccer, and then you have Japan in there. And Japan got blown out, what, 20 years ago? They started getting blown out in 1995 or 1999. I forget what year they actually... Uh, qualified for the Women's World Cup the first time. I think you're right. It's about 20 years ago they started getting really the creamed corn punched out of them. Yeah, and at that point you you really just have to say, you know, these are growing pains. Like, let's make this program better. But at the end of the day, I would love to see a World Cup where all the teams come out guns blazing like we're seeing with some of these younger, more, less experienced programs. Or like Nigeria, who have, they've been really great within their confederation. And then in this tournament, in their group, they're like, hey, we came to play. You guys all wrote shit about us. We heard you talking shit. And we're going to put our best foot forward. So I think in eight years, or maybe even four years, with funding, Nigeria could be another one of those teams where you're like, you can't sleep on these guys. They'll do more than ruin your tournament. Well, the the system's going to change so much in four years. And then in eight years, I mean, Grant Wall is the first one to say, well, why don't we get up to 32 teams? So we're actually on par with the men's game, but you see the parity in the in the tournament this go round. Give everyone one more one more cycle, and make those games more competitive, and then advance it. Yeah. Also, grow the purse. Make the purse more advantageous for programs to actually uh, be participating. Sato, so among the newer teams in the tournament, who do you think, after four years, is going to show the most improvement, or who'll give us a really nice show in twenty nineteen? It's a really hard one because a lot of that's going to depend on how much funding these other countries get, and that's going to make a huge difference. Um, Spain and Costa Rica have a lot of promise. Same with Thailand, uh, and Thailand is being sponsored by one person who, who's fronting the whole whole excursion out here and the whole team. How long can she keep that up? Spain, they've played nine games leading up to this World Cup or something minuscule like that. Uh, I think. Maybe Costa Rica probably has the best chance of coming up and developing uh, and, and the being so close to the U.S. and Mexico and, and Canada and the ability to play those teams in friendlies would, would help them a lot. I think you can include Colombia on that list. 
I mean, what they did to France was a combination of Colombia being hungry for it and playing well, and France being, well, not, France? not great. <laughs> France? France and, you know, poor Buati doing what Buati does. Well, it was France being 2012 France. Yeah. And I don't want to take too much credit away from Colombia because they were hungry in that game. But what about that handball? <laughs> but, but, but what what about that handball? What, I mean, what if the handball had not You occurred? do have to consider it because if she'd called the handball and maybe France has a PK if they score it, you play differently 1-1 than if you're one down. Well, right? I mean, I you can always play that what-if scenario until your face turns blue. That's true. I, I thought that same what-if scenario in Winnipeg against the U.S. What if Kling hadn't been on the line and was able to defensively get that ball out of out of the net. What if the U.S. went down one nothing with 12, 15 minutes left to play? Yeah. I guess in the end it's, you can that's play sports. what if, but Colombia won. Yeah, that's In sports. the end, look at the scoreboard, bro. Yeah. Sorry. So hard teams, or big teams not playing as well, do you think maybe the expanded bracket has changed it? Because they know they're going to advance. They know they're going to have an extra game. This is a really long tournament. It's on turf. It's hot in some of these places. Are they not going balls out in groups play, just doing the bare minimum that they need to in order to get through? Because they know now it's up to three teams per bracket that, or per group that can get in. Maybe I, they're taking a little conservative measure. I definitely think that's part of it because it's not the same as in Germany. Some of the teams who have been here before are taking into account all the logistics. It's not Germany. Travel is a huge deal now. Some teams are having to go cross-country and some teams are just hopping like the equivalent of New York to Boston or New York to D.C. And so, yeah, I think some of the other teams, it comes back to once you've been punched in the face before, you're a little more wary about it. And so you want to do everything you can this time to avoid getting punched again. I think you're right. I, I think teams are not necessarily sitting on their heels, though. I'm very frustrated by the U.S.'s performance, mainly because we threw our entire attack at them. Um, we, we didn't hold anything back. We threw everything at Sweden and we couldn't do shit. And that's, that's extremely frustrating to show the weakness in our midfield, the weakness in our forwards, the weakness in any sort of like attempt at attacking. Um, I was extremely frustrated by that, but it could be, we're afraid of getting punched in the face, but we got punched in the face. Sweden punched us. What do you think about starting, having... Ellis having started all of the World Cup rookies in that match instead of going with all the veterans. You know, Morgan's still on the bench. Uh, Tobin was on the bench. Tobin definitely could have played to the style that, that Switzerland, or, uh, Sweden does much better. Hale was on the bench. Yeah. You know, I don't... It's an important game. I don't necessarily think they should have played, but she had Box and Rampone to go to as well and didn't. But we did our starting back line. Yeah, you know we we were consistent with that back line, so I don't think it was us saving players for game three or saving players for the round of sixteen. I think it was Ellis fielded the best team she thought should face Sweden, and she thought wrong, and Sweden showed up. Um, they also couldn't score. Like you know, it's it wasn't necessarily all the United States' fault. Sweden fell short quite a few times and had a couple of good shots, but um, you know, we relied on solo. We relied on the back line. Um, I thought it was it was a really good chess match, but it was a very frustrating match to watch as a fan because no team was really possessing the ball. Mm -mm. 
Um, it wasn't a game of possession. It was mm-hmm. a game of holy crap, keep away. Mm-hmm. It was a game right. of how many time, how many passes can you make before we take it away? Our defense definitely wasn't the problem. It was, and I don't necessarily know how much it was the forwards either, because there is no connectivity. If you're a forward, you can't do anything if your midfield isn't getting you the ball. I don't know what's up with Carly Lloyd and Lauren Chaney, but they've both been kind of non-factors in the past two games. I, I kind of know what it is with Lauren Chaney. She's not a DM. Correct. And she hates position. I don't, I don't want to say she hates position, but it's not her natural position, but she does it because that's what her team needs of her. That's because nobody else is capable of doing what she can do. Julie Johnston? Julie, who's going to be on the back line then? I don't know. Engen, maybe? Yeah, so pushing Julie Johnston up there doesn't necessarily solve any of your problems. And I also am not super comfortable with her long ball, her long distribution from deep, based on her long balls as a center back. Well, her long balls are desperation balls. Because, you know, if you're not Abby, sometimes you get scared and you just start... (laughs) popping the ball up front to her, hoping she'll do something with it. I hear that that's a problem for teammates of Abby Wombach's yeah. because they just get terrified that the other team's going to score. And so we, they just feel this like total confidence in Abby, and they need to get her the ball. Here's the other thing, though, with us kind of dividing things up to defense midfield forwards into instead of one cohesive unit. Jill Ellis said that she's responsible for the defense, Steve Swanson kind of handles the midfield, maybe set plays, and Tony Gustafson handles the forwards. They've divided it up that way instead of Jill being the head coach and then delegating to her subordinates. Which, you know, I'm not saying that's necessarily a better way. Whatever works for the team works for the team in terms of duties or whatever. But some people feel like that was her already throwing the others under the bus. Like, the defense works. That's what I do. I'm not the one in charge of the midfield and the forwards. I don't know. And it's not working. Like you, so. you said, you know, if it works, it works. It's not working. The U.S. should be scoring. The U.S. is supposed to be this powerhouse, this terror for other teams in terms of our attack. Now, be it the turf, be it the temperature, be it the travel, the travel, the the time between matches. We have all of these excuses, but at the end of the day, the United States just isn't scoring goals, and that's what they've been known for. Kate Markgraf wrote an interesting article for ESPNW where essentially I think you could boil it down to her saying this might just be the new normal with larger teams no longer running riot over smaller teams or even mid-tier teams because the quality gap has closed. Do you think it's more that or do you think it's more that the United States is really lacking quality? I think it's the United States lacking quality. I think, I I think, I think the United States is lacking finishing. Well, what do you think, Sato? I, I still think the United States relies on uh, basically thug ball still. They're, they're still very physical. They're fit, which helps. And that's one of the things that you see lacking from a lot of teams. But a lot of the other teams now have finesse. And, you know, the U.S. can't push every player off the ball anymore. They get passed around. So I, I think that changes things. And the U.S. is still trying to play that thug ball. What do you think about... Abby claiming that if the World Cup were on grass, that the team would have scored more by now. Do you think that's an excuse? I think every team would have scored more by now, not just the U.S. There's so many balls that you can see come through where players are slipping on their on the on their kicks at goal, constantly, always sliding, miss hitting the ball because their foot doesn't quite grip right, or the ball just bounces funny off of it. I'd say every team would be scoring way more goals, not just the U.S. I think that's a fair assessment. 
Gab, do you think that's an excuse or do you think that there's a grain of truth to it? I mean, I'm, I question where Abby's coming from with saying such remarks during a tournament. There is a, is a time when you just have to suck it up and say, these are the, this is the position we're in. These are the, this is a situation. This is the environment. This is all of the components that we have to deal with. And it's not that her, her point wasn't that the U.S. isn't scoring enough goals. It's that the U.S. isn't winning. And so to point at turf to say we would be scoring more goals, that header would have gone in had this been on grass. Well, that's an excuse. We've known for years, for four years, five years, that this tournament was going to be on turf. Only in the last nine months has this been an issue amongst players in such a way uh, where they've they've made this the talking point. And so to bring the focus back and say, well, it's because of the environment, it's not because of our skill, it's not because of the other team, that, that to me is an excuse. Yeah, I think if you look at the United States scoring chances that they've had, turf doesn't necessarily impact the chances that we've seen so far, as few as they've been. Well, Carly Lloyd has said it in interviews that the way she's adjusted for turf is she knows that she needs to curve the ball a little bit different. She needs to put a different pace and different spin on her through passes to know that the player's, you know, not going to be able to meet that ball if this had been on grass. So she's adapting and she's changing her style of play. Now, we're fortunate that all of the playing surfaces are fairly consistent. And that style of play isn't going to necessarily change, but I would I would be really intrigued to watch a test that showed okay here's a player you know making a through pass on grass and here's a player making a through pass on turf. Yeah, it would be interesting if you could directly compare the two. If you could somehow control all the other variables and just compare grass and turf. The last games in group are going to go off tomorrow. That's Thailand, Germany, Cote d'Ivoire, Norway, Netherlands, Canada and China, New Zealand. Any score predictions? I'll start with Sato. Yeah, I, I have a feeling Thailand's going to score at least one on Germany. They're they're on a high from their, their win, even though they probably should have tied that game since she was offside on that last goal. Um, but they're going in, gunning for it. Germany still, I, I think, is going to get the goals this time around, unlike last time, <laughs> last game. So I'm, I'm going to go about 5-1. to 5-1 to one Germany? Yeah. Okay. Um, for that match, uh, I, I think um, I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I'm going to go 3-1. I'll go 7-1 Germany. I think Ooh. Thailand's going to be a bit tired from pushing so hard in that last game. I'll, I could definitely see them getting one on Germany. Maybe Germany gets cocky or sits back on their heels or something like that. Or Nadine like, has or a horrible Nadine pass. Nadine goofs <laughs> and just... Like, has a little German hiccup in her mind. Yeah, I could see Nadine, like, picking it up yeah. in the box and being like, oops, yeah. and they get a PK <laughs> so or something dumb like that. The other game, uh, Cote d'Ivoire versus Norway. Sato? Uh, I'm s- uh, that's, the, that's a tough one. I, I think that one's going to be really close. I'm going to say 1-2 uh, to Norway, although I'd like to see, see Norway go down, but uh, I don't <laughs> them, think it's going to happen. Them Viking bitches. <laughs> right? Um, I'm actually, I think this is going to be the blowout. I think Norway is going to go 6 nothing. As much as I like them, I think the Ivory Coast has just really run themselves into the ground. Um, watching that last match, they ran out of fuel. They ran out of gas. Sure. 
I don't think they have the recovery, and I think Norway is just going to be more fit and ready for the match. I think Cote d'Ivoire will fight hard for maybe the first 15, 25 minutes, and then once Norway breaks them down, the goals will come. So I'll say 4 nothing Norway. Sato's the only I, one that thinks that'll be a competitive no, match. I, I think it will be a little bit more competitive. Um, Ivory Coast is very physical, mm-hmm. and I don't think Norway's going to expect it. They, they are. Um, their goalkeeper looks gassed. Their back line looks extremely frustrated. So going off of those things, uh, I see that one being a blowout. The The next match um, is the big one. Netherlands, home, Canada. Home team. Sato, home team. Well, I'll go last. Sato, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, that's a coin toss. It could go either way. Uh, I, I'm just going to root for the home team, though, and go Canada. And Sink will finally score a goal and either match or surpass Mia Hamm in this game. And I'll, I'll just give her a hat trick and say 3-1 to one, Canada. Wow. A Sinky hat trick, huh? Yeah. She's due. I'm going to say this one's going to be one nothing Canada. I don't see a lot of goals coming from either one of these teams. Uh, I think it's going to be a late goal um, in the in the 80th or 85th minute. I, I don't see it it coming um, earlier than that. <clears throat> and Canada Canada is going to make the country fall in love with them and uh, sell out future matches and and keep this this trainer going. Canada's had its struggles. But they've had two games now to settle into their nerves. And I think a lot of the problem has been nerves. They're playing scared. And if John Herman can adjust and maybe admit that he doesn't need to start Melissa Tancredi. <laughs> with with all due respect to Tank, who has given a lot to this program, I don't think she's the best for Canada right now. So if Herman can adjust and Canada can just get over the nerves and it'd be like, you know what, after those performances, there's nowhere else for us to go but up. I'll give it 2-0 to Canada, if that all that happens. Eh? Eh? Sorry. Eh? Sorry. Sorry, Tank. Sorry, Tank. <laughs> and and last... Tank, Tancredi's been really interesting uh, to watch this tournament. That's not the word I would use, but yeah. Well, she frustrating Yeah. Uh, is, is probably a better word. But she's she's been that player that you're always going to expect something to happen around her. She's one of those players that you want to watch because she's either going to do something that's going to change the match or something that's going to change your opinion about her. And she hasn't done either this tournament. Uh, last game, China-New Zealand. Sada? It's China all the way on this one. I, I don't think there's any question on that. Uh, I, I would say, though, it's going to be a tight one. I'm going to go 1-0 to China. I'm, I'm disagreeing with you on this one. I think I think New Zealand, I think the little Kiwis have, have a score to settle. They've never won a World Cup match, ever. And they have the spunk about them that, unfortunately, the pieces have just never fallen into place. I'm going for them in this one. I think it's going to be three to two. I see a lot of goals coming in this one because both teams are going to be throwing everything at it because of that third place position. That the, the teams that are in fighting for third place are the ones that are fighting for the most. I think. And in that first match uh, with Canada and Netherlands, you know, first pl- third place is on the line, but so is first uh, in that group. So at, at this point, I think uh, New Zealand's in it to, to try to salvage some points. They beat China. They have four points in the group. Um, and they, they could potentially tie for first or no. They could go second. They could the group, go second. Which would guarantee advancement Yeah, if they win. 
which is why I think, yeah, New Zealand's going to come out guns blazing. China will definitely want three points to assure advancement. Yeah, advancement is definitely on the line for both teams here. I think they'll go hard, but I don't think it'll be a goal fest. I'll go 2-1 to New Zealand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got some, some differing views, some differing score predictions. I'm going to try to remember what my predictions are so that tomorrow I know which teams I need to so cheer tomorrow for. Tomorrow we can find out just how wrong we are. Exactly, because we're always wrong. Yeah. That's it for this minicast. Don't forget we're blogging on twodrunkfans.com. We're going to put up uh, stories and pictures and eventually video, but you might have to wait a little bit for that. Signing off from Vancouver, I'm Thrace. <laughs> Gab. And Sato. <laughs>